Okay, so we're going to dive into our new series today on 1 Corinthians. I'm really excited about this series. Um, before we begin, I need to say a couple of things. I cannot take credit for bringing the bratwurst to the party. I brought chips and salsa. Yeah, I just, I, I just cooked the bratwurst. Um, <clears throat> but it was a good time. Uh, I'm going to repeat a lot of things I said last week because it, 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 it hinges on what I wanted to say today anyway. And because a lot of you who weren't here last week, we need to understand the the situation in Corinth to understand what, what, why this book was written. So let me just begin by saying I'm excited about this study, and we've organized it in the form of a magazine. And the reason why is because Corinth was a lot like America is today, and it has you know, all kinds of morality issues, all kinds of diversity and different, different immigrants, different, populate, different you know, diverse populations. And with that diverse population comes diverse morality, diverse religious views, diverse worldviews, and it creates an interesting place. Um, one scholar said that Corinth was seen as the leading city in Greece, and it boasted 250,000 people and 400,000 slaves. That means there was over um, about a half a million people there in, or, uh, uh, in, in Corinth. And Robert Plummer says the mar- it is called the marketplace or the vanity fair of Greece, or even the empire. And so that word Vanity Fair, as you may know, is the name of a magazine that we sell on our shelves today. I think we still sell Vanity Fair and Cosmopolitan. And and I looked up that word Vanity Fair, and the word Vanity Fair just means a vain and frivolous lifestyle, especially in large cities. And so Corinth was known as a vain and frivolous lifestyle, and it was a large city, and so there was all kinds of frivolous, immoral all kinds of interesting behavior that happened in Corinth. And the main reason why all this happened, I explained this last week, but I want to explain it again, is because where Corinth was located, Corinth was a strategic city for Rome. When Rome came in and sacked them and took over, they made Corinth a strategic city for exports and imports. And the reason why is because if you can see this map, this is just a Google map that I put on the screen here. Um, you'll see that right here is... Rome. I'm looking for Rome. Here it is, Rome. So Rome, obviously, the Romans were ruling at this time. If they wanted to export or even import certain goods, um, they would have to travel all the way around here to get to Athens or Thessalonica, which is while another big city, or Alexandria, which is another big city. And this journey right here was considered to be very treacherous, and it would take at least four or five days just to travel through that. But what they found was that they could, because Corinth was located right, it's right here. This is Corinth. And Corinth is just a small peninsula that is four miles wide. That peninsula is four miles wide. So what they figured they could do is they could take their ships and go this way and then cut through Corinth in that four-mile peninsula and save themselves four days' journey and travel. And the way they did this was by creating a canal of some sorts through that four-mile peninsula. And if you see this map um, on Google Map, this is a today's snapshot of Google Maps, you'll see there's a canal there. Can you see that canal? It just runs. I'm going to draw this line right next to it. Right there's a canal. And this is what it looks like today if you go there. They have, they have dug this canal through so that, and if you see they, them actually pulling big ships through, they'll have tugboats that just pull these big ships through that four-mile piece of land, and this will save them four days of traveling, and it would give them a chance to, here's what they would do. They would valet their boat 
you know, at, at one end of Corinth, and then they would spend four days just living the good life in Corinth, right? Going to the bars, going to the places that you go whenever you're on a business trip, and you're expending everything, right? <laughs> and you spend a lot of money, and you have a great time. And so this is what the canal obviously didn't look like that then because we didn't have the earth movers that we have today, but this is what it looked like then. It was just a smooth paved road. And remember how I said there was 400 slaves there? Those 400 slaves would be used to move these boats across this paved road. And so they'd literally pull the boat out of the water, put it on rails, and the slaves would just pull it for four miles across this um, smooth paved road. You can see the wheel marks inside that road. Do you see it? So because of all of this, when, um, when, when businessmen who were on business trips stopped in Corinth, for, they had four days to kill. And so Corinth began to have a motto that sounds a lot like modern-day Vegas which is what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You can stop in Corinth, like I said, valet your boat, give us four days of your life, we'll let you pick up the boat on the other side at the end of the, at the, end of the four days, and you can, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Stay calm. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And so people lived a good life. Corinth, their chief religion there was Epaphrodite, and um, she had a temple, this, this, this goddess of sex. And her temple had temple prostitutes. And the way that you would worship this goddess is by coming in and sleeping with one of those prostitutes. So you might be able to guess this without me telling you, but it was the most popular religion of the day. Amazing how you can grow a, you could grow a religion, you know, if you do it that way. So these guys would come in, they would eat, they would drink, they'd go to temple prostitutes, and what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. So Corinth became the most immoral, most vain, most ostentatious city in the world. In fact, it became so much so that the word Corinthian became synonymous with a strumpet or a prostitute or a whore. They would, they would call a woman a Corinthian woman if she was that way. So nowadays we would call her something else. But back then, if they saw a woman who was loose, they would say she's a Corinthian woman. Or for men who acted like you know, men who act like that, that, you know, like a playboy or whatever, they would say he's playing the Corinthian. He's, he's being Corinthianized. He's playing this part as a Corinthian. So this is how bad that place was. So with that in mind, you can imagine how life would be if you lived in a place like that. Could you? How, how hard it would be to kind of pick your own standard of truth and walk in that truth without being distracted by all the other things that are coming out, all the advertisements, all the opportunities, all the entertainment. In fact, Corinth was also known for being the capital of entertainment. They had more coliseums than any other city, beautiful coliseums where you'd sit in them and hear the actors and see the plays and listen to the opera. Do you see how this is a lot like our, our, our country? Isn't it exactly the what we're... We have so much to distract us, so much entertainment at our fingertips. I mean, that used to be I'd have to go to the movies, right? Now I can watch one on my phone. And we have all kinds of different moralities, right? I mean, everyone's morals are just, you just make up your own morals, really. And, and, and even within the church, we do this. We say, this is what we believe, this is what we don't believe. So our, and by the way, we could all say this. Corinth, because of that isthmus, became like the, the gateway to the east, and St. Louis is called the gateway to the west. So we live in a, a country, and even in a city, it's not much different than Corinth is all. That being the case, what would it be like 
if Paul went into this place called Corinth and decided to plant a church? How do you share the gospel with people who are living and running amok and get them to love Jesus and come into a community of people who are the body of Christ, who love Jesus together? They're salt and light. They're people inside of this city that is just morally wicked. And how do you grow this church and, 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 and make them into the saints that God has called them to be? Good question, isn't it? It's the same question we should ask ourselves. How do we become disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, a body of Christ, a community, and, and love one another while at the same time spilling over light and love and mercy and grace to the people that are around us who have no moral compass or have no faith? What we're going to look at today we're going to look at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, and I want you to see how Paul treats the Corinthians in this opening salutation. Are you ready to look at it with me? Someone say, oh, yeah. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to start, we're going to go through this whole book, I hope, in 16 weeks, as fast as we can. But today we're going to look at the first nine verses. It opens like Paul opens all his letters. He tells us who he is and, and who he's writing to. He says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul opens up by saying, I'm Paul. He tells us, I was called by God to be an apostle, which means a sent one, to be sent on a mission to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Paul called as an apostle. And our brother Susanus, that's his, someone who's writing alongside him, to the church of God that is in Corinth, that is to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, colon. It's a pretty powerful opening sentence, isn't it? But I want you to, I want you to see something. It's very important to me that you see this. I just explained to you the, the kind of place that Corinth was, right? And if I, if I could give you some of the epic fails that we're going to look at in this book, you can imagine what a church in Corinth would look like. It probably would be kind of jacked up. And it is. So here's some of the epic fails we'll see as we study 1 Corinthians. We're going to see petty divisions. People arguing, well, I don't like that worship pastor. I like it when the other guy leads worship. I don't like it when that guy sings or that girl sings. She's, she always throws me off key. I don't like that when that guy preaches. He's not as good as the other preacher. You know, they have petty division. Hey, does that happen in the church today? It doesn't. It doesn't at all. I know, because we're so holy. And, and then there were also people who were like, you know, well, well, I'm from Paul, and I'm from Apollos, and then some, well, I'm from Jesus. Right? I'm holier than all of you. You guys can talk about your Bible studies, but I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Gossip was an epic fail in this church. Um, Paul has to rebuke them for ugly gossip. Hey, does that happen in the church today? I mean, it's not even funny, is it? In fact, the word gossip is synonymous with the word church. <laughs> For most outsiders, if you tell them church, they immediately think that's the place where everybody talks about you and judges you. Am I right? It's just synonymous. You cannot be involved in a local church without there being gossip, and that's a sin. It's an epic fail. Drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. They'd actually get drunk at communion. They did communion every week when they gathered. And Paul says, do you not have houses you can drink in? Why are you getting drunk at the Lord's Supper? What's wrong with you people? He's going, We're going to get to that, chapter 8, chapter 9. One brother is sleeping with his father's wife, which means there's a man sleeping with his dad, his stepmom. And Paul says, I rebuke you that you even allowed this to go on, that you've not said anything about it. You need to, you need to rebuke this brother. He cannot do that. You guys are too tolerant. 
There's a mixture of worship, you know, with Jesus and Epaphrodite. You can imagine the temptation for guys there. There's an issue of women, whether or not they should wear head coverings. That long stretch of text about how women should shut up and wear a head covering is in 1 Corinthians. You guys are going to love it when we get to that part. We're not getting there today, so don't worry. <laughs> there were Christians who were accused of only drinking milk. It's like you guys have been Christians your whole life and you're still drinking milk. You should be eating meat by now. You should be teaching by now. But you're like babies sucking on your thumb. You need to grow up. And then there's brothers and sisters within the church suing one another in court. You can't, we don't sue one another. Pretty epic fails, isn't it? And there's some, there's some good things about Corinthians, too. I want you to know some epic successes as well. The most famous one probably is um, chapter 13, the love chapter. You know, love is patient, love is kind. It gets read at every wedding. Um, the resurrection chapter is the last chapter, chapter 16, where Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then we are fools for worshiping him. You know, he, it's a very powerful text about his resurrection and our future resurrection. There's an introduction to the Bema seat of Christ. Raise your hand if you've never heard of the Bema seat. We get introduced to the Bema seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians. The Bema seat of Christ is the judgment, Christ's judgment on us on how we use our gifts and how we use our lives. It's a, it's, a, it's a judgment of rewards. You know, we're already saved, right? We're, Jesus doesn't judge us to hell. He judges us for our rewards. We're saved by grace through faith alone, but we still have work to do and with, with our hands. And when we, when we do that work, we are given rewards at the end, and that's called the Bema Seat of Christ. We get introduced to that in 1 Corinthians. Um, the teaching on the church is the body of Christ. Paul's famous teaching is here in Corinthians. And then a, a, a big stretch of discussion about divorce and singleness is in 1 Corinthians. And then, of course, much, much more. So now back to what I was saying. We have a church situated in Corinth with all these epic fails. Think of it, getting drunk at church, sleeping with someone's mother, um, suing one another. I mean, this is pretty bad stuff. So I want you to see how Paul responds to them. He opens up by saying, I'm Paul, called by the will of God, you know, to be an apostle. And he calls them, look what he calls them. Do you notice what he calls them? To the church of God. You are, Corinthians, the church of God. He doesn't say, Paul, an apostle sent by God to you, heathens who are lost and wicked and you need, to, and you need a whooping. <laughs> he says, you're the church of God. So the reason why I wanted you to see that is because there are going to be times when we read this book that you're going to say, I can't believe that these guys are even Christians. I mean, how can they even be Christians if they're getting drunk at church? And I want you to say, Paul says they are the church of God. They are Christians. The word church in Greek is ekklesia, which literally means ek is out. So ekklesia means the called out ones of God. So the church is the called, so Paul said he was called as an apostle, and now he's saying to the Corinthians, you were called out for God. So here you are in Corinth, in all this immorality, and you've been called, you are God's called out ones. That's an amazing compliment, isn't it? It's an amazing way to think of yourself. You are also the church of God, just to want you to know. You are the call, God has called you out. Yes, you live in Owensville. Yes, you live in St. Louis. Yes, you live in America. But you are a special royal nation, right? A holy nation, a royal priesthood. God has called you out as the called out ones for a specific purpose. I want you to know that. I want you to let that sink into your heart. You have a calling on your life. 
And listen to this. He goes on. He says this. You are the church of God, the called out ones of God, that is, in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified just means holy, holy. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. Holy, holy, holy. Sanctified means to be made holy. And so Paul says, think about this, you've been made holy in Christ Jesus. Again, as we read 1 Corinthians, there are going to be days where you think, these guys aren't holy. <laughs> these guys are not holy. Paul says, you have been made holy by Jesus Christ. And then he says, "You are all, listen to this, you were called to be saints. Called to be saints. Not only are you called out as God's chosen people, you've been made holy, and because you've been made holy, now you've been called, you have a calling to be a saint. And again, there are going to be times when you read this book and you're going to say, they ain't saints. And if you're like me, there are times when you look at your own life and you say, I'm, I'm no saint. The funny thing is, is that in, as we read this book, I'm going to repeat myself, we're going to think these people can't be Christians. These people can't be saved. Paul's telling us in the very beginning, they are the church, they are sanctified, they are called saints, they're saved. But their life doesn't reflect it, but neither does yours. Am I right? It doesn't. Martin Luther, the early reformer, said that he called this, we are um, simultaneously justified, that is saved, and sinful. We are simultaneously holy and righteous. Yet at the same time, sinful people, how can that be? With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Listen, when I read this book, it comforts me to know that Paul says these are saints. Because their life is jacked up and their church is jacked up. And it's real easy, I think, for you and me to come into churches. I hear this talk a lot in churches, right? Do you hear this? People say, well, they can't be a Christian. Why? Well, because they got a tattoo on their ankle. I saw it when they scratched their knee. I saw it. They pulled their scratch their knee and pulled their pants. Oh, they got a tattoo. I can't be a Christian. We do this all the time. There's, and there seems to be, you might listen to this on, on the radio or sermons, there seems to be a fascination in this country with the so-called uh, fake Christian. People who come to church and play the game, but they're not really saved. And I don't know where that came from. Why do we do that? Because we judge them for their lives. Because they're not living the way we're living. Or because we're not living the way we want them to live. And the truth of the matter is, is that we're usually watching them to see what they're doing wrong. And we pick out at it. But we've got something equally as wrong that we're not going to talk about. That guy drinks too much. I, he always talking about drink. But this person here is the biggest gossip in town, right? That, that, that person, she's got a tattoo on her ankle. But this person is mean and rotten to her husband. You know what I'm saying? So, so we always are looking at other people to make ourselves feel better ourselves, but we're all jacked up, amen? And I just want you to know that I'm a sinner. I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I've got sin, and you do too. And so when we read the Bible, you need to hear it, that these Corinthians have awful sin, and it's getting, it's getting you know, projected for all of us to see. But you've got it too. Don't pretend like you don't. And Paul is saying, you've been called out. You've been called as the called out ones. You've been sanctified, and you've been called saints. Yeah, you're no saint, but you are. <laughs> I love that last song we just sang, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. I'm not a beautiful thing, but he's making me into a beautiful thing. So I want you to know this. Did you see how many times Paul uses the word called in just two verses? He used the word called three times, 
First he says, I'm Paul, called to be an apostle, that is a sent one to proclaim the gospel. And you are the church, the called out ones of God. Now the word called is not in the text, the word church is, but the Greek word is ecclesia, called out ones. You're the called out ones. And then he finally says, you've been sanctified and you've been called saints. You're saints by calling is another way of saying that. You've been called. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know that you've been called? You have a calling. Do you believe that? Do you know that you have a calling on your life? I mean, I mean a very specific calling. For me, God called me to plant churches. I know that. Um, for you, God might have called you to do something. Do you know what your calling is? Are you living according to your calling? Or did you forget your calling? You have a calling. God has called Paul. God has called these Corinthians. And God has called you. And I want you to think about your calling. Well, let's move on. Paul then goes on in verse 3 and says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a little verse. And if you were reading this Bible um, on a Tuesday morning with your cup of coffee, you might be tempted just to blip over that verse because it sounds like blah, 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 wah, 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 right? Paul, an apostle sent by God to the church of Corinth, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You might just tip the blip over it. But can I say something? Paul opens almost every stinking letter that he writes with that very sentence. It's not a sentence you want to blip over. It's very important. In fact, you can just, if you have a Bible, you can flip. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You can go on. Every single one of them will start with grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Why? These are powerful words. Grace and peace are the bottom lines of the gospel. The good news. Martin Luther said, the earlier former, that Paul opens every letter with this because every letter opens with the gospel. Paul is an apostle sent to preach the gospel. All I want to do is preach the gospel. And here I'm going to preach it even in my salutation. Hi, I'm Paul. Hey, you're Corinthians. Hey, grace and peace to you. That's the good news of the gospel. Why? Because grace is given to us, and we're saved by that grace. And because of God's grace, we're saved. And because of our salvation, we now have peace with God, don't we? God's not angry with us anymore. God's not out to get us. He's for us, not against us. And so grace has been given to us, and peace is how we feel because of it. That's the bottom line of the gospel. It's beautiful. All right, moving on. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. So they receive God's grace too. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So, so he's getting messages. He's getting confirmation that the testimony about Christ has been seated inside of them. They know who Jesus is. It's confirmed in them. So that, listen to this, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Holy cow. Paul says, I give thanks to God because you received the gospel, you received the grace, and you have, all, you have knowledge. And there's been testimony, there's been witnesses who tell me that you have been confirmed, that Christ has been confirmed among you. Christ is there. You guys, you guys are the church. You are saved. You have Christ, and you are not lacking than any spiritual gift. Now again, well, they're getting drunk at the Lord's table, they're sleeping around, they're suing one another, there's ugly gossip. Looks to me like they're lacking lots of spiritual gifts. Self-discipline, peace, patience, kindness. <laughs> Where's all that? 
verse 5, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse. So here's the wicked, immoral Corinthian church. You're saved, you have been gifted, and God is sustaining you. Do you see that? Christ will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day. Can I, can I just tell you that as Christians, you are saved yet sinful and you will sin and you will mess up and you will mess up terribly. And at the end of your life, you'll look back at it and say, how could I even have been saved? How could I have even been walking with Jesus? How can I even be a saint of God? But You are. And Christ Jesus will sustain you to the end, and in the end you will be guiltless before God. Why? Because God, the last verse, verse 9, because God is faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship. God is faithful. You're not. I mean, I know you. You're not. You want to be, right? You want to be faithful, always, always, always faithful. One of my favorite people in the world, Rich Mullins, said, I've learned in my life that it's God's faithfulness that saves me, not mine. That when I entered into a covenant with God, he said, I will save you and I will sustain you to the end. And even if I break my end of the bargain, he will never break his. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never divorce you. You can't divorce me, God says. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And then to close, I want you to see, for the fourth time, Paul uses that word. What word is it? called. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the end, you have been called into fellowship with Christ. You've been called. Yes, you have a calling on your life for here, but before you can ever do that calling, before you can ever walk into that calling, you need to know that you've been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Raise your hand if you want to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. I do. I want fellowship. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we gather together in a community. Because really, all of that is getting, driving us closer and closer into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Paul's going to say in this book, my favorite line, I want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, the power of God and the foolishness of man. Now, next week, Paul will say, after all of this, great stuff he said about the evil, wicked church, he'll say, now nah, I've got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> so, so next week will be the National Enquirer version of the, the magazine. <laughs> Let's pray.